accountants. It's time to make it count. My name is Freddie Bennett, former accounting industry executive turned entrepreneur, business owner, change maker, and Guinness world record holder. In each episode, we bring you the powerhouses from across the accounting world to help you discover how to unlock endless possibilities, turbocharge your accounting practice, and make it count in business and in life. Thank you for showing up for yourself today. Now, let's dive into another unmissable episode of Make It Count. Welcome to another episode of the accounting industry's fastest growing and dare I say favorite podcast. It is time to make it count. And today I have an extra special treat for you. We have a double trouble. I am delighted to welcome not one, but two guests to the Make It Count studio. I am so, so pleased and honored to welcome Matt Shalkras, who's a director, and Kirsten Turner, who is a senior manager at the Christchurch office of Baker Tilly. Matt, Kirsten, welcome to Make It Count. Thank you very much for having us, Freddie, and looking, looking forward to it. Perfect. Matt, Kirsten, welcome. I know we're going to have an amazing episode. And as I say, it's brilliant to be able to uh, to add the uh, the Baker Tilly brand to the distinguished list of Make It Count podcast guests. But Matt, Kirsten, to, to get us started, for, for anyone that isn't aware of you both or, or the great work that Baker Tilly is doing in Christchurch, tell us a bit about yourselves. Yes, well, um, for for our sins, we've both been accountants for 20 years, but we've had quite different backgrounds. Like I started in Nelson, moved to Queenstown, back up to Christchurch in 2012. I guess if you could categorise my career in one way, it's really riding the technological wave. Like when I first started in an accounting office at age 16, it was one computer between four people, a phone on my desk and a desk pad. And I've seen technology evolve quite rapidly um, to everyone having their own computer, multiple screens, um, electronic storage, um, fast-paced change and adoption of electronic um, and cloud-based accounting software and things. And I really, led, um, I guess, lent into that being a digital native and just trying to use this new technology to help clients save them time. Yeah, so pretty similar, actually. So a small firm out in um, Rangiora, so it must have started about the same time, but we did have a computer age, so we were quite progressive <laughs> from the start. Yes. And again, first sort of firm involved in Zero as well in North Canterbury, so always kind of on the edge of of technology and things. So that's yeah, yeah. And then, on now. And then more recently, we have found a foray into quite a specialised area um, as cryptocurrency, which, you know, is quite polarising. If you speak to my dear wife, she'll say it's all a scam. I don't know what Andre says about it, um, Kirsten, but we've certainly seen some real highs and lows of the various cycles, and that's why we're looking forward to sharing that with your listeners so that they can get some insights into this rapidly evolving and emerging 
area of business that has gone from more of a hobby element to starting to permeate into all aspects of our lives, which we think um, will only continue. Thank you both. And I'm very much looking forward to getting into the highs and lows of cryptocurrency, which kind of reflects my bank account during my cryptocurrency dalliances, shall we say, with some very high highs and some very low lows. And I can't wait to get into that. But let's take a wider look at at technology for a second. Now, obviously, accounting, as we know, is traditionally focused on numbers. We don't always associate the accounting industry with quite a progressive, forward-looking, tech-focused uh, perspective. But but you used the phrase digital natives there. Have you both always been naturally interested in technology as you, as you progressed through your careers? Or was it a case of thinking, we think this is going to become big in the future, so let's focus our attention upon it? I think I was lucky, you know, it was a significant purchase at the time of buying this computer in 1997. And I guess I was at an age where this shiny box that could connect to the internet and everything that went with it was quite a revolution coming from a small town in Nelson that you could be connected to basically anyone in the world at at any time. And that was my sort of first sort of foray and I guess if you could say it in the, the, probably the nicest way possible, I was a bit of a geek, would be fair. And when I went into the accounting space, like I could see that the firm I was in, that they really were sort of probably five, 10 to 15 years behind what I was sort of seeing in my school environment with technology. And I think the way that sort of summed it up perfectly is my first week in accounting, I spent the whole week with a red pen writing codes next to um, a client's transactions, which were then input by the typist, which would then produce a report, which I would then analyse and send back to the typist. So it was very manual and um, labour-intensive, and I thought, surely there's got to be, you know, this was in 2003, mind you, the internet had been around for a while, I thought, surely there's got to be another another way of doing this. And I was the youngest at my firm by quite a lot, so I was uh, just put in charge of the technology, so kind of learnt by by doing. That's a great point you make there, Kirsten, because I think the aspect about learning technology, because I will try to say this in the most politically correct way that I can, which listeners will know that's pretty difficult for me. If we think of typical accounting firms, we have uh, different people in different positions within the firm who may be of different generations. They may have different, uh, dare I say, ages, technological backgrounds. Do you think that anyone could adopt technology within their firm to both help revolutionize their accounting practice and also the businesses of their clients? Because we have some people who say, oh, I'm terrible with technology and I can never do anything. But do you think that anyone can learn these skills? I think there's a good analogy. And uh, my father, he was born in 1943. And so that gives you some idea of his age. And he his technological journey has been quite interesting because growing up we were just sort of he, if he needed something done on the computer he would 
we would just do it for him. But now that everyone's left home and things, he sort of has got a little bit isolated with how technology has moved to everything's online and the removing of the banks and things. But even my father, he's recently, who's just turned 80 in July, he can now text, he can do internet banking. That's not to say he doesn't get frustrated, but he has got the attitude that if he knows he needs to learn this, otherwise he's going to get left behind. So I think it really comes down to if you've got the right attitude and patience, I think anyone can embrace technology and even just get small, small wins. You don't need to go from totally paper-based to the most advanced firm in all of New Zealand. It's just going, well, we need to show respect for how things were done in the past, but acknowledge that that's not going to be competitive in, in the modern era. Now, I've had a client that didn't use any technology at all um, for religious reasons, and they were allowed to start using computers. They got straight on zero and payroll, and, and they were off. So, yeah, they, they learned it all in, mm. in a few months, really. Yes. So. No stopping them now. <laughs> Amazing. And you mentioned uh, small wins there, and, and I totally agree. It's because technology can be quite daunting, especially to someone who tells themselves a story that we could never adopt technology or, or our firm isn't very good at adopting technology. You mentioned small wins. Could you describe any of them? If you were to say to one accounting practice who wanted to be more tech-focused yeah. or future-focused. Yeah, well, what, I think one the smallest and easiest win is setting the photocopier to default to double-sided printing. <laughs> that Perfect. is still utilising technology to, you know, save paper. And it's actually a significant win because you've suddenly halved the amount of paper you're using. So you could actually say, well, it might seem a little bit silly, like we take it for granted sometimes around technology and stuff that, you know, sometimes people don't even know that, um, that that's a possibility. I think you're right. And uh, part of it is not knowing the art of the possible. Mm. So many times that we are working in, in blissful ignorance, and I mean that in a positive way, that just no one has told us that there's a better cheaper, faster, more tech-focused way of doing things. And I'd love to get your perspective on this. Do you feel the first step is in terms of embracing or adopting any kinds of technology, being around actually knowledge and, and helping people to understand what what is out there? You know, it's sort of if you look at it around driving a car, you know, it's quite intimidating and you don't even know where to begin. And that's why, you know, with learner drivers, you don't let them out on the highway straight away. You might start in a, a car park doing a few laps and things in, in a safe space. And I think that's the key thing is sometimes we do have an innate fear of failure. And if we're like, oh, that didn't work out or something went wrong, we're sort of naturally Oh, well, that didn't. We tried using technology ten years ago, and it didn't work, and so it'll, it'll never work. And sometimes you've just got to go. Well, creating the the culture within an organisation, and that's where Curse and I we lead the business innovation systems. Where basically we have a representation from all parts of the firm, and we just tinker around and try stuff. And we're lucky that we've got some parameters so that we don't suddenly unleash AI all over our clients. But we bring something to the table when we meet every six weeks and we share ideas. And so I think it's just having that curiosity is probably with that's how you'd articulate it. Person, just being curious, I guess. That's probably your key thing. And yeah, just 
Yeah, finding the bits that the wee bugbears that annoy you every day that might be a very simple fix or someone else is already doing better. Anyway. Yes, yeah. yes. I think that that's a great idea. Was that an initiative that you both set up? Was it something that the Baker Tilly was already doing? Yeah, it's interesting because as a network, I think we're quite progressive in terms of our views on technology. We're probably, I wouldn't say we're, you know, right out there, the sort of the first adopter. We're probably early majority. And each office at a national level, we have a business innovation systems group where we can share ideas amongst the offices. And I thought, um, which came out of part of a strategic planning session looking at myself being the youngest director, I could see that technology is not going to go anywhere. And I often felt, I wouldn't say isolated, but I just felt like I was sometimes championing things a little bit on my own. And so the, the biz group was sort of started out of that to go, well, what do we know across the organisation that we can share? And it was just a way of getting people out of their silos to actually talk to each other. And we've had a lot of wins, like a good example is on the clipboard in Windows, like you can actually stack multiple copy and paste. And it's like, I discovered that years ago and use it all the time, whereas you know, someone sitting right next to me never knew that that functionality existed. So it's really just creating an environment to have those conversations in a safe space. And they can have huge productivity gains. Like when I do my fees, a lot of the narrations are similar. And being able to stack my clipboard has just been a game changer. I think that's a powerful word that you use there, Matt, around game changer. And I'll explain why. I think with Having the space, the bandwidth, pardon the pun, to create that business innovation systems group, that biz group, because I speak to many accounting firms and they always use the same language. They say, yes, we should be doing more in the tech mm. space. We should be focused on more if we had the time, if we had the resources, if we had the capacity, all these things. It's a bit of a cliche, but it's true. So many leaders in accounting practices, they're too busy trying to run a business to be able to actually change the business. So mm. based on what you were saying around the, this amazing safe space to be able to examine, explore, potentially implement new technology, could any accounting firm potentially create their own business innovation systems team or, or group? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, nothing special about our wee group. We're not necessarily the, the group that you would think would do the tech ones either, but we've got a good range of... Um, like from new grads up to, you know, the directors all involved. So everyone's can put their opinions in and we've got, you know, different areas of expertise as well. So. I think that's a really powerful point that you make there, Kirsten, because as you say, rightly or wrongly, people sometimes think technology, oh, that's for the tech team to deal with. That's for the people who like technology to deal with. And it's natural to say that I'm an everyday accountant. It's not really my area of interest. It's not really anything to do with me. But by bringing in, as it sounds like you've done, all these different experiences, experience levels, grades and so on, bringing in graduates, because that's what a real life accounting firm is. That's what real progress is. It's bringing in people who who have these different viewpoints. And I always find when it comes to change, if we can, dare I say, convert people who may be anti-tech or who think this isn't anything to do with me it makes firm-wide implementation and change so much easier and more sustainable and more powerful. I think that's great because sometimes the best idea can come from the person who sweeps the floor. Definitely. 
I think it was a, uh, it may have been Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or someone who said, give a job to a lazy person because they'll find the most efficient way of doing it. And obviously, I don't know no what a Baker Tilly is lazy, obviously, but it is that area that sometimes if we bring in fresh perspectives and people who don't necessarily have all of the background and the baggage and everything behind it, yeah. they can just walk in and say, oh, why don't you do it this way? And, and it can totally revolutionize the way that we approach technology. Yeah. And it can seem so obvious once someone said it. Definitely. So let's uh, let's move on now to dig a bit deeper into tech. And you mentioned cryptocurrency at the start. I must admit, this is is such a broad topic. It's something I know something about. As you say, it's something that some accounting firms would be like, oh, hang on. The phrase the Wild West often gets talked about when it comes to cryptocurrency. I'd love to understand more about your views on this, what you're doing in this space, and what Baker Tilly's perspective and, and actions are around crypto. No, well, that's a very good question, isn't it? Because it is very changeable often our views you know can sometimes influence by that as well but I guess if I sort of take you through what got us to this point it was probably quite relevant in terms of setting the scene I guess my first foray into crypto was through a client in 2018 and that was during a hot period of time similar to at the moment where the crypto market had been rather subdued in terms of price activity and things. So everyone was sort of feeling fairly negative on stuff. And as the sort of years proceeded, um, we had what's called a bull run where the, the price rose quite rapidly and we started dealing with more and more clients who would have these crazy stories like, you know, one person, you know, he made a million dollars you know, in like six months just buying buying crypto and not really doing anything overly clever or, um, you know, it's inherently risky, but they just took a chance. I guess that was when it was sort of more at that enthusiast sort of level. And the clients that we were picking up were probably more retail focused in that they weren't your traditional business owner or didn't have a good understanding of the tax obligations. And so our real sort of starting point, I guess, was making sure people were compliant. Like we had one gentleman, he was on a sickness benefit and made $500,000 one year. Wow. And then, you know, he had to pay like 150000 of tax, which he didn't have. He almost had to sell his home to pay the tax because he'd just never given any consideration to it. So it would sort of bring out this whole different array of people and things. And I guess that's where we got developed a reputation for wanting to help people get them compliant. And over time, things, I guess you'd say, Kirsten, probably become more sophisticated in terms of rather than retail focus, we're probably more business to business, large scale developers, you know, more experienced traders and things who have more of an appetite and um, desire for advice and working with people who, you know, know the language that they're using and um, some of the potential pitfalls that can come from it, I guess. Perfect. And you mentioned the pitfalls there. We'll dig a bit deeper into these stories in a second. But um, what are the common pitfalls that you see in, uh, I think, both, yeah. both people that are, as you say, on, on the business side and on the retail side? Yeah, I think um, for the benefit of the listeners, because you've always got to assume that, you know, like you said, you hear about crypto in the media, usually when things are going really well. 
And then you also hear about it next when things have collapsed. Mm. So typically the narrative that's out in the public is very much um, sort of this one of boom and bust and or there might have been some sort of scam and things. And I think the biggest sort of theme that we hear from clients and the perception of crypto is it's sort of full of scams And to a certain extent, that is true, and that's quite a common pitfall. But the common pitfall is people don't do enough research and they take what they see at face value. Like we had a gentleman that we worked with last year, retired farmer. He'd heard about Bitcoin on the radio. So he Googled how to buy Bitcoin. Like he looked at the top three results of Google, didn't realize that the scammer had paid for the second result and subsequently lost $300,000 in a crypto scam. So, you know, they went into it thinking, oh, this is a great way of making money, but with no appreciation or understanding just what they were getting into. So I think, you know, the biggest pitfall is people think it's easy where there's actually, because it is the Wild West, like um, there's not really any sort of safety rails. You're sort of out there on the low, (laughs) out there on your own. And then there's no one you can really call when things things go wrong, unfortunately. It sounds like it. And when things do go wrong, and I'll, I'll look at the other the positive aspects in a minute because we are a positive show. But when, when things do go wrong, is that when either clients call you or, or get referred to you? And are they basically saying, help? Because yeah. I know a few people have been affected and they're like, well, yeah. there's obviously the, the legal, the police aspect of it. But yes. then they're like, well, what? What do I do both in in, in the short term and in the long term? Yes. Yeah. No, it's quite interesting you say that. And like, I guess, from a New Zealand context, um, the crypto community is relatively small. Like Christchurch, I would classify as a bit of a crypto hub. Mm. And um, that was where I was lucky to be introduced to some well-respected people, not only in the New Zealand, but international crypto community that are what I would consider Um, good actors and so that's where our names often come up on forum posts and things if something has gone wrong the first thing we do is we don't judge like um, the bank they'll judge you the police will judge you your family's definitely going to judge you (laughs) but if we operate in a professional environment what clients say to us in the context of our advice we have seen it there's not much that would really surprise us, is there, Kirsten? No. And so we don't judge. And I guess that's probably the key thing, because as humans, we don't like to admit that, you know, we've made a mistake or we've fallen victim to something. Our sort of starting point is understanding the facts, what's happened. A lot of the time it is they have fallen victim to a scam. And if that's the case, there is sometimes ways that we can mitigate the extent of that. Um, One that comes to mind is really around the tax deductibility of um, crypto losses. And so you might not be able to get all of it back. But, you know, if you're on the top tax rate, maybe you'd be able to get 39 cents on the dollar back in terms of deductibility and things. And often we'll put 
some safety nets around people to prevent it happening again. And we've had situations where we've had to communicate the extent of losses to people's families. And I refer to this gentleman again saying to his daughter that your father has lost your inheritance to a crypto scam. Like it goes well beyond the realms of an accountant. You're becoming a mediator. Mm. Like I didn't want to tell a retired farmer who's in the 80s that they've lost three to 400,000. That doesn't make me feel very good. But, you know, if I can say it in a way that, you know, in a way that's respectful and coming from a place of care, I'd like least to think, you know, I'm not adding any more harm to to the situation. Mm. And then when he was getting subsequently called by these scammers that, you know, he knew to put down the phone because they, you know, they tragically would offer him, not only did they take $300,000, they would ring him up and say, well, I am from ABC Limited and I can help you recover your lost crypto and have another bite at the at, um, at the Apple. Like they've just, you know, it's just horrible what, mm. you know, some of these scammers will put people through. Uh, I totally agree. And uh, I think... I think make it count would be banned if I if I gave my honest views on what I think of those types of scammers. But I am not a fan, obviously. Um, you mentioned that uncomfortable conversation, say in that situation. I know there'd be others as well. As an accountant, and if you think back to the start of your career when you were writing down the the manual inputs and so on, going from there to having that very uncomfortable conversation with someone who's lost a lot of money to a crypto scam. Mm -hmm. What goes through your mind? Because you must be yeah. thinking, I did not sign up for this so many mm -hmm. years ago when I was writing down the inputs. Now here I am talking about crypto losses to someone who's lost their kid's inheritance. What does it yeah. feel like? What goes mm -hmm. through your head? It is interesting. And um, I think it really comes down to, and feel free to jump in here, Kirst. So I think it's really testament, I guess, to the people that have influenced how I behave as an accountant over my career. Like the key thing for me is that I'm like, I like to think I'm for an accountant, I'm fairly high in empathy. And I think, you know, I've been lucky that I've had some great mentors over the years who have shared um, situations with me or I've been or I've sat in on a client meeting and seen, observed difficult conversations and how they have, you know, held themselves professionally, even though internally they're probably thinking, what is what is going on here? Mm -hmm. Your thoughts, Kirsten? Yeah, the same. Um, watching others who have, you know, gone before, yep. And, um, yeah, like marriage breakdowns and things and just having empathy but still kind of maintaining that professional mm. place as well mm. rather than, you know, getting fully involved in it. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Getting, clo <laughs> getting close enough but not not um, getting um, burnt or potentially sort of be seen to side with other parties and things. I think it's just a culmination. Like we certainly wouldn't want our grads delivering that um, conversation but often what we do is Kirsten and I we've done training and internally where I mentioned um, we've delivered presentations to law firms and other professionals around our crypto experiences to try and impart some of what we've learned because it is a view a very new area and new areas create opportunity like it'd be fair to say Kirsten that a lot of our growth in terms of client work is from the crypto space yeah definitely mm. over the last year it's really taken off yes 
And like you say, it is is a fascinating topic. It's a fascinating field that is just on a on a rocket ship at the moment in terms mm-hmm. of its of its growth and at its velocity. I'd love to know from an internal perspective, and, and the reason I ask this is because I know every accountant listening to this, every accounting firm listening to this, they will have clients who have either dabbled in crypto, are thinking about dabbling in crypto, or have been burnt by crypto. When you wanted to, to set up this initiative, this 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 team that focuses on cryptocurrency, as an accounting firm, were you supported in this move? Were, were people saying, oh, no, we're... We're an accounting firm. We can't get involved in cryptocurrency. In terms of the, the steps that you took to start to own this space within Christchurch and beyond, how did all of that work? It's quite interesting. And I think, um, you know, accountants quite rightly have a healthy degree of scepticism. And I think what really sort of started, if I reflect on my journey, is it was quite um, a gradual process. So I started off in 2018 with just a single client who was dabbling in Ethereum, which is um, the second largest cryptocurrency. And they weren't trading, they were developing, they were providing consulting services to the crypto industry and getting paid in Ethereum. Mm. And so they were conducting a legitimate business activity. It was just the way that they were getting paid was a little bit unusual. And I think the fact that they were a Christchurch-based client, you know, we could look at each other in the eye. They valued the work that we did. You know, they listened to our advice, they valued it, and then they advocated for us and recommended us to their contemporaries and things. And that is what, you know, we do regular reporting as to new clients and things. And it wasn't long before um, the other directors picked up, well, we're actually starting to get a bit of um, crypto-related work. Like, I'm very fortunate that the other directors, they do maintain an open mind to new things. And I think what I did out of the respect of that is made sure that I was keeping them in the loop um, with the activity. Like, risk management is obviously a big issue for accounting firms. And so... You know, when we took on this client, I went to our senior partner and said, look, this is a, you know, this is a situation. And, you know, we put some safeguards around that. And then I was asked to speak at um, a Tech Week event where this client was on a panel of. And again, I went through the right process and said, hey, an opportunity has presented for me to speak at this event. Is that okay? And I think it's one of those ones where, you know, and that's not to say there's been the odd misstep because that's certainly the case. But where possible, I've tried to make sure that I've taken others on the journey with me and not just go, well, I'm going to go boots and all into the crypto industry. I'm going to hang my hat on it. Like crypto, I would always look to, and Kirsten's very much the same, we have a variety of clients, you know, from basically all walks of life and industries, but through our reputation and the work we've done is we've become, you know, we people naturally sort of seek us out for crypto-related work, but it's been very organic 
And um, I think because we're both passionate about it, people know when you're passionate about things and we talk the client's language. Um, we've both dabbled it in ourselves, um, you know, just for professional purposes, of course. But um, obviously we haven't made enough to retire from accounting yet. But we talk their talk. We understand the challenges, and I think that they get a very authentic experience. And I think that if you relate that to the other partners and things, the central thing is being able to relate to your clients and, and having good safeguards. If something does come up that there's an issue, that they trust us to you know mitigate that and um, escalate as, as needed. We're not just running rogue. Is, is the key thing. <laughs> and it's a profitable, you know, profitable area of work. Like we very seldom do we get any much work that we can't recover 100% of our time mm. time on. So that's pretty, um, you know, accountants love love work that's 100% recoverable. <laughs> we, we certainly do. I mean, I'm uh, my, my sales hat is just working as you're speaking, Matt. And I was thinking if every accounting firm created some kind of, of service offering to support their clients around cryptocurrency decisions, Everyone who's listening to this who has an accounting firm or works at the accounting firm, all you would need to do is send your client base an email, say, have you yes. have you ever been thinking about cryptocurrency? Yeah. And a proportion of them will either say, I'm thinking about it or I have invested in cryptocurrency. And then you've just started a whole new load of discussions. And then maybe... Oh, I agree. And I think part of it is just like we get a lot of inquiries through our website just because on our bios... It references cryptocurrency. Mm. Like we like to think we're fairly knowledgeable in the space, but our knowledge has sort of been developed over the work we've done in seeking out information. And I think anyone who sort of put their mind to it would actually be able to develop a bit of a capability relatively um, quickly. And in terms of you know the growth of things with with clients we often get the common theme is like i spoke to my current accountant and they don't know anything about it mm. so we're coming to you and so we might pick up a client who we just need to do their individual tax return for their crypto stuff but we'll pick up their business their trust everything else just because we have knowledge and something that just a little bit on the on the on the side here. So it's sort of becoming part of a, you know, providing a full suite of services, I guess. And I sort of see that trend only continuing. Definitely. I, I totally agree. And with that more of a shift to the future, Kirsten, I'd love to know from from yourself as well, as a senior manager at a growing accounting firm. In terms of your own career development, do you see this continuing to grow in this direction? Do you think as as, as yourself, you'll become more of a, of a potentially a crypto focused accountant? Yeah, for better or worse, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Matt said, most of the new clients coming through have crypto recently um, in some form or another. And a lot of the team enjoy doing the work as well. So it's quite good from um, the new grads are really quite Oh, I didn't know I'd do crypto and they, they get enthusiastic about it and you know it's something they can talk with their friends about and and things as well. So I think it's also yeah good for for them as well. Definitely. And in terms of the future then, how how, how do you see as a let's call it a double question, that the future of cryptocurrency uh, and also the future of of accounting firms being involved with with cryptocurrency and their clients? I think that's a good point. Like, I mean, we've gone through this period 
of the markets had some, you know, it's had these highs and lows. Overall, I've seen more people make money out of crypto than lose it. Typically, people who you've got a, there's the old anecdote, it's time in the market, not time on the market. Mm. And um, the ones who get burnt are usually the ones who are coming in when the media's hyping it up and, you know, we're basically reaching the top and they're the ones who unfortunately get burnt. The analogy I would use is that the train has left the the station. Mm. Like we live in a much more digital world. And I liken crypto to the internet of the late 90s, early 2000s. Like a good example with crypto is the market is open 24-7. Whereas our traditional banking systems and shares, you've got to wait for the market to be open. You know, it's just crazy that in 2023, you've got to wait for a stock exchange to open before you can transact. And even with remittances, like I think crypto is going to play quite an important role in that. Like, you know, the example I'd give is the cafe downstairs. They have to wait until the next business day for the FPOS company to settle the funds in their bank account. So, you know, the credit card company is holding on to this business's funds for 24 hours. If it's over a weekend, it could be 72 hours. But with cryptocurrency, I could go down there, purchase it, and it settles it instantly. So it's straight in their bank Mm -hmm. account for them to spend the same day. And that's where I think um, a lot of the narrative around crypto is the scams and things. But the criminals will always be the one, the first to use new technology for scams. And I suspect, I don't think I'm exaggerating with this, I suspect a lot more crime is committed using cash than crypto. So it all comes down to what narrative you use. So I think it'll just permeate our lives and it'll get to a point like with the internet where previously you had to sit down at a computer, dial into the internet and there you were on the internet. Now you're always on the internet. I think crypto is sort of rapidly evolving. You know, it'll just become part of a way of life and that's without even talking about central bank digital currencies and everything. Like it's a big area and I think, um, you know, there's just so much behind it for them to ever be able to stop it at this point. Definitely. I think, as you said, that that's obviously going to be for the part two of this around the whole decentralized finance and mm-hmm. uh, and everything else, which um, which I'd love to get into as well as yes. yeah the, the future of, of cash and everything else. But, but yes. I totally agree yes. with what you were saying, Matt. I've got a friend who's very into his investing and he was saying, he says things like, if my friend's grandmother is getting in touch asking me about how do I invest in this thing, then I know it's time to get out of the market because it's hit its peak. So um, totally believe that. But it's such a fascinating space. And I think that any smart accountant, any smart accounting firm really needs to be following the example that both of you and Baker Tilly Christchurch is setting, because this is is something that's going to be a real profit center and is really going to grow and grow. And that's why I found this, this conversation absolutely fascinating. Now, we are coming to the end of the show now, uh, but we obviously do have the one final question for you both, which is the tradition here on Make It Count, which is the secret surprise question. Now, the secret surprise question is when a previous Make It Count guest 
gets to ask a question of the current guest, which is both of you. Uh, so the good news is that you can set the secret question for a future guest, but it's secret because I don't even know what it is. So if I get the secret question for you both, and you can take this one at a time. So Matt and Kirsten, my secret question for you this week is, what advice would you give to a younger version of yourself? Well, my one's easy, Freddie, straight off the bat, buy Bitcoin. I, I was just thinking that. <laughs> Definitely buy Bitcoin. It would be, it would be a great uh, advice to the younger version of yourself. It's tough. <laughs> Probably do this quite a bit with the mentoring of the grads and things, but it's just to um, keep asking questions and and get involved in things around the firm and community and whatever you're interested in, just get involved in it. Perfect. I love that. I think both very bits of profitable advice, probably in the, in the short term and, and the long term. <laughs> so Matt, Kirsten, I've, I've loved having you here on the episode. As I say, it has been fascinating. I would love to have a part two with you uh, in the near future where we go into the wider digital finance space. But for now, if anyone, either if any potential clients are listening, if they want to get in touch with you, especially any accountants or accounting firms that are listening and are thinking, crikey, we need to be doing this in our practice as well, because as you say, it's such a powerful direction to be heading in. How do they find out more about you? How do they get in touch? How, how do they make contact? Yeah, well, the great thing being a technological facing firm is we're always looking to sort of share our insights. There's plenty of work out there for everyone. So what I would suggest is you just Google um, either mine or Kirsten's name. You'll be able to go into our bio on the Baker Tilly website and you'll see a link that says schedule a meeting. It'll bring up our calendar and you can just select a day and time that suits you. And we can have a conversation either by phone, in person or video call. Perfect. And I will make sure that we put those links in the show notes as well. I love that. I thought with all this focus on tech, imagine if you'd said something like carrier pigeon or or something just to uh, just really have the total anti-tech focus. But um, but no, obviously, we'll, we'll make it very easy for everyone to find you and put those links in. But for now, Matthew, Kirsten, it has been a pleasure. It's been an eye opener and it has been a game changer. I really have loved this conversation. Thank you both for being part of this and thank you both for being part of Make It Count. Thank you so much for listening. I hope today's episode informed, educated, motivated and inspired you to make it count for your clients and your business. Make sure you check out the show notes of this episode for the all important links. Please hit subscribe, share it with the world, and don't forget to give us a five-star review. We love getting feedback on this show, and I'd love to hear which part resonated with you the most. Remember, you have got the skills, talent, expertise, and experience to make a huge difference in the lives and businesses of your clients. The days of the bean counter are over. It's time to make it count. I'll see you on the other side.